This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit wogcc.com. I'll tell you something else really cool about that weekend leading up to baptism. Uh, that weekend, uh, I had taught on articulating the gospel, and people were confronted with the gospel, some for the very first time, and they responded. They walked up to the front here, and they boldly professed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior to our whole church family. And maybe you were here and you saw that, or maybe you were one of those people. That is just so encouraging to see people's hearts gripped by the truth of the love of Jesus Christ, that he would die in our place, that while we were yet sinners, Christ would die for us. Amen? And to see people respond to that, I mean, when you look at that, you go, wow, God really is doing something special in our midst. And I'll tell you something else that was cool. Uh, This past weekend, there were people that actually responded to the call that was given at the end of the service, or maybe people who were just gripped in their hearts who talked to me later, who said, Pastor, I've been a Christian, you know, what I would consider my whole life, or what I thought was a Christian, but that was one of the very first times in 20 or 30 years of coming to church that I had actually been confronted or faced with, with the gospel. And it gripped me in such a way that I just had to worship God, or, 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 or it gripped me in such a real way that I felt like I just got to know Jesus Christ for the very first time. And that's powerful stuff, folks. And we can't manufacture that. That's all Him. Amen? Amen. That's all Him. And so we have to depend on Him. Not depend on ourselves, but depend on Him. And as we go deeper into this series, and as we kind of wrap this whole thing up this morning, we're going to talk about something I believe is very important for all of us as followers of Jesus to understand in our life. And that is how to be discerners of truth, how to discern the truth. If you're following along on the U version, you have that title there, discerning truth. But if you're writing notes out, write that down, discerning truth, because that's what we want to talk about. I think it's really important for us to know how to discern truth, because, uh, you know, I think that, that, that... There's so much out there that wants to make truth claims. There's so much out there that wants us to believe in or that wants to shape our beliefs. And we have to go, okay, how do I know what really is true and what isn't? I did a brief video on this to open up the series. If you watch that on the website there, the Elements video. And I talked a little bit about discernment. And I thought just going just kind of full circle with this entire series that it would be beneficial for us to really get it concrete in our heart, what it means to discern truth. So I think that it's important that we not only understand how to defend our faith, but we need to know why we believe what we believe. We need to know why we believe that it is true and how we know that it's true. And it has to be something deeper than, oh, I, I heard someone say this, or it feels right, or it just feels good. There's got to be something deeper than that that we can actually begin to build our life upon, that strong foundation. So let's go to the Word today. If you have your Bible, go to 2 Timothy 2 and 15. 2 Timothy 2 and 15 is probably the most quoted verse when it comes to preaching a message like this, something in this vein where we're talking about being able to discern truth. Discern, if it, is it real? Is it, is it right? How can I know? Being able to really distinguish and discern that, how do I know that? What kind of principles do I use to guide me as I begin to learn what is true? So verse 15 in 2 Timothy um, chapter 2 says this, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing 
the word of truth. Now, this is the Apostle Paul writing to young Timothy, who is a young minister, and Paul is exhorting Timothy at times during his letter. He's correcting him. He's wanting him to stand on his own two feet because Timothy had an intimidation issue where he, when he would deal with people that were older than him or, or that were in authority, he would have a problem with that, and, and, and it would really just bother him, and he was very afraid at different times throughout his ministry. And here's Paul encouraging him, saying, listen, you need to present yourself, first of all, a worker that's approved to God, okay? In other words, he's saying you need to seek God's approval, not man's approval. Don't go seeking after things that man can do and how man can either give you the affirmation that you're seeking or that man can somehow fill a void in you that you're looking for. He said, no, 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 you're not doing this for man. You're doing this for God. So first and foremost, understand that, that you are doing this for God, that we're being diligent to present ourselves as a worker approved to God. So we don't need to be ashamed because we're rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, the task of rightly dividing the word of truth is a task that is given to every believer, not just pastors and ministers. Every one of us have that responsibility to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. The Bible also talks about in Ephesians chapter 4 how we need to grow in sound doctrine so we won't be tossed to and fro with everything that comes along. Because there's a lot of different flavors or different brands of teaching that would want to come out there and make truth claims and say believe in this or think this way or believe this way. And if we buy into it and if we believe it just because someone else said or just because it feels right or just because we think it's going to get us what we want if indeed what we want is something other than Christ, then we could build our entire life off of something that is not solid, something that is very faulty, and we could be developing bad doctrine, bad beliefs, and then when the enemy comes in like a flood, and the rains came, and the floods came, we're going to crumble, we're going to crash, because we're not standing on something that's founded in something solid, and a lot of people get mad at God during those times. A lot of people begin to blame God during those times because they've built their life off of bad doctrine and they begin to shake their fist at God and they're angry at God because they, 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 they say, well, I was told this and I believed this and I'm not seeing this happen in my life exactly the way that I want to see it happen and the way maybe that it happened for someone else. I think that's a big problem. I grew up in a type of teaching that if something good happened to someone, then everybody would go rush to that person and say, how did you do it? And that person would begin to outline all the steps, write a book, and it would become a bestseller. And then everyone else wants to buy the canned version of how to get what somebody else got because they think that's the goal, is just to get what the other person had. And so we make idols out of things that we begin to chase, and so we develop formulas in order to chase our idols, and we end up uh, fruitless from those pursuits, and then we get mad at God over the deal. No, we need to rightly divide the word of truth. We need to be able to understand exactly what it is that God is saying to us so we can know how to properly structure what it is that he is showing us in his word about himself. Now, the phrase rightly dividing is a single word in the Greek, okay? So in the language that this was written to Timothy in, this was just one word when it was translated, not two words. It wasn't rightly dividing. It was just one word, and the word was orthothromeo. And I don't know if I'm saying that right, but let's just go with that. It's just one word, orthothromeo, 
And if you're a Greek scholar here today, you're probably like, you're saying it wrong. Probably pronouncing it wrong, but we're going to go with my pronunciation because I have a microphone and you don't. So, <laughs> so orthotomeo, or however we're going to say it today, is one word. And here's, here's the kind of term it was. Um, that, that phrase, rightly dividing, or that word orthotomeo, is a civil, enge- a civil engineering term is what that was actually used for. They can go back and look up historical documents and different things like that and see that word used in a lot of uh, engineering-type discussions because uh, when someone would build a road on a straight path, they would have to properly um, move obstacles out of the way of the path, and they would begin to plan for how they were going to move the obstacles on uh, that that they were planning on putting this path. Okay, we're going to move you know, the, the, the dirt over here, or we're going to begin to clear this brush out over here. We're going to orthothomeo through this thing, okay? We're going to rightly divide it so we can have a straight path. It was also a mining term that was used whenever they would dig for ore or when they would dig for some type of uh, precious metal or whatever the case may be, that they would say, okay, what we're going after, we need to move everything that's going to hinder us out of the way so we can rightly divide it and get to what we're after. We need to orthothomeo this thing, okay? And that's what the Greeks would use as that word. So when we see that word here, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul was writing to Timothy. He was saying, listen, we're trying to get to the truth here, okay? So we need to get everything out of the way that's not true so we can see clearly, so we can move clearly to what is true. And that's how we're going to be that worker that's not ashamed because we're rightly dividing. We're making a straight, clear path to what is right, to what is true. And so we're getting everything out of the way that is not. And we need to allow our hearts to have a straight path to the truth by rightly dividing Scripture. So as we look at it, we need to go, okay, I, I, I need to get some things out of the way here as I'm making this straight path, as I'm rightly dividing the truth. I need to get some things out of the way. And that may be the way that I grew up. That may be my feelings towards certain things. That may be my experiences. Because if we try to build our beliefs on any of those things, those things are shifting sand. What if you built your entire belief just off of what someone else told you and you never grew in rightly dividing the word of truth? And your faith is in what someone else has told you instead of it being in something that's solid. If we build our if we build our faith off of how we feel, oh man, your feelings change with everything that comes along. You could be stressed out today and, and, and you could be happy, go lucky tomorrow. So building our doctrine, building our, our, our belief system off of our feelings is wrong. So we can't just go, oh yeah, that, I like the way that that sounds. That feels right. This feels good. Or our experiences. That's kind of what I grew up seeing a lot. I saw a lot of people build doctrine off of experience because they would say, well, you don't have scripture for this, but I know it's right because I feel that it's right because I had this experience. As if somehow my experience validates my belief. And that was kind of the experience would almost outweigh truth. I remember times when I was a teenager that I would go to certain individuals and I would say, what about this scripture? What about that scripture? And then they would throw some experience at me that they had had to somehow trump what I'm showing them in the word of God. You and I need to understand something. That's backwards from the way that this stuff is supposed to work. Amen? We don't use our experiences. We don't use our thoughts and then go, okay, let me find a scripture to back me up. No, I need to go to scripture and then the other things are going to follow. 
I'm able to rightly divide. I'm able to go, is this of God or not? Like Jesus said, to judge righteously. Am I able to judge righteously based off of the fact that I understand what is actually being said and I'm not just living up my entire life, building my entire life on some sort of misbelief that's founded and rooted in my experiences or my feelings or what someone else has always told me. And those are often hard hurdles that we have to go over as we grow as believers. I mean, sometimes those are really difficult, especially when you see something in Scripture that's contradictory to what you thought or what you feel. You go, oh, I don't like that. Let's go to something else real quick. If we're going to rightly divide the word of truth, when we see something in the Holy Scripture that contradicts those areas, we got to go, okay, let me examine this. Let me see this because this is really difficult for me. Man, there have been so many things in my Christian walk that I thought I knew. And I thought I was really smart because I knew all these things. Really, I thought I was smart because I had experienced all of these things. I remember certain sermons that I would preach and certain things that I would do that I I was so sure of because I had saw those things modeled and, 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 and I believed that way. And I thought that all of those things were right. And to a degree, there was some truth in that, but it was taken so far out of context that when I began to look at Scripture, I go, wow, we have really taken that out of context. And I had a choice to make. I had a choice to make. I go, okay, am I going to side with God? Or am I just going to side with the way I've always done it? The way I've always thought? The way I've always felt? Because we get this nostalgia built up in our minds towards certain things and we think that that equates to holiness or goodness or a move of God or whatever the case may be. And we drift towards those things in order to capture that nostalgic feeling that we had because we thought that equated to success in my Christian walk. But then when I'm confronted with something else, man, what am I going to do? What kind of decision am I going to make? Am I going to live in the past, live in nostalgia, live in error, live in bad belief, live in bad doctrine? Or am I going to allow the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to begin to shape my view and my perspective? In other words, it's kind of all summed up in the thing that I say quite often here. Always be willing to give up what you believe for the truth. Amen, somebody? So what's the basis for your conviction? I mean, what are you deeply convinced and convicted over? And what's the basis for that? Is it Holy Scripture? Is it you looking at the Scripture and going, wow, I am convicted because I see here this is the heart of God. I am convinced because I see this is the heart of God. Or am I convinced because somebody that was really popular or famous said this? You see the difference? But a lot of people will drift towards what someone really popular or famous said. But I go, man, I can't get away from this. I have to be convicted and convinced because I see it in the Word, and I'm rightly dividing the Word of truth. Matthew chapter 13, if you have your Bible, we're going to do a little bit of reading today. So go to Matthew 13, if you have your Bible. Matthew chapter 13, we're going to look at Jesus in one of his most famous teachings, the parable of the sower. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 1. It's page 1313, my Bible. So, on the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. Great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got a boat and he sat down 
the whole multitude stood on the shore. So here's Jesus. He's speaking from a boat. Lots of people are there. And he spoke to them many things in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell on the wayside, birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched because they had no root, and they withered away. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Verse 10. The disciples came to Jesus and they said, Why do you speak in parables? Why are you telling stories? He said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see... And hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand. Seeing you will not see and perceive. For hearing of this people, for the hearts of the people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes have closed, and they, have, they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts in turn, so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, blessed are your ears because they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, and they didn't see it. Many righteous men desired to hear what you're hearing, they didn't hear it. Therefore hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and he snatches away what was sown into his heart. This is the one who received the seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation comes and persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and deceitfulness of riches. They choke out the word and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on good ground is he who hears the word, understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty. And that's the parable of the sower. And, and I know a lot of us has probably heard that story before, but one of the interesting things to me is when Jesus said in between where he gave the parable and then where he actually explained the parable... He told these guys, he said, listen, the reason you guys are understanding this, he says, because it's been given to you to be able to understand the mysteries of the kingdom. He says, you're understanding something. You're convinced of something. You're convicted of something that these other people, they're not getting and they're not understanding because this is to fulfill the prophecy that Isaiah gave. He said, but you get it. You guys get something. You're understanding it. I've chosen to reveal mysteries about myself that other people just simply won't receive. He was able to do this because the disciples received him for who he was. The disciples followed him because of who he was, not because of what he did. <clears throat> Jesus did a lot of great things, and the disciples saw Jesus do a lot of wonderful miracles. That wasn't the basis of why they followed Jesus. They weren't just riding on the coattails of a successful, popular minister. They saw something deeper in Jesus, and they saw who he was. 
They saw that he was the Christ, that he was the Messiah. He was more than just a good teacher. He was more than just a prophet. They were confronted with the reality that there's something more to Jesus than just a good person that's going about teaching and healing people. There's something more to him, something deeper. And because of that, they were gripped by who he was and it changed their hearts. Because they were faced with the reality of Jesus as the Christ, as Jesus as the Messiah, as Jesus as the chosen one of God that was coming to bear the sins of the world. And because they were gripped by who he was and they got who he was and they saw who he was, they were willing to drop their nets and follow him. You remember the story when Jesus told them to cast their nets on the other side and they had been unsuccessful fishing all night long and they obeyed him even though they didn't think it was that great of an idea. They were like, well, we've been fishing all night. And he said, why don't you just do it anyways? And they did and caught so many fish they had to get their buddy's boat. And then when they got back to the shore, you remember Jesus said, come and follow me. And was the Bible said they left their nets there. They just left this big giant catch of fish to come and follow Jesus. It was a response to who he was. And the disciples got this. And so Jesus said that you're understanding truth. You're going to understand this because you are gripped with who I am. So understand this. Your ability to receive truth is dependent upon your conviction of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your ability to receive truth is dependent upon your conviction of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the gospel is the thing that plows up the hard ground of our hearts. Being confronted with the reality of who Jesus is, what his mission was, and the fact that he fulfilled it, and that that grips us, it actually breaks our heart, it crushes the hard areas in our heart, and makes that ground good to receive the truth. Because the truth was being shared, the problem was not within the truth. Jesus said the seed didn't have an issue. The seed wasn't the one that had a problem. It was the ground that had an issue. It was the ground that had the problem. So when the seed was sown, some of it fell on good soil and it did exactly what it was supposed to do. But some fell on some stony ground. Some fell on some ground that had some thorns in it, some offense, some unforgiveness, some some cares of this world. And then some fell, it was too shallow to really take root and it, it began to get eat up, dried up. You see, when we're faced with the reality of who Christ is, when we're faced with the reality of the gospel, it, it comes and, and it confronts and grips our heart in such a way that our, ground become, that, our, that our heart becomes that good ground. It breaks up the fallow ground of our heart, the hard ground of our heart. Pastor Matt Chandler says it like this. He says that the gospel is like the sun. And that it shines down on all of mankind, but the hearts of men are either hearts of ice or they're hearts of clay. And if it's a heart of ice, what's the sun going to do to that heart? It's going to melt it. But if it's a heart of clay, what is that going to do to the heart of man? It's going to harden it. You see, the gospel is either going to soften your heart or it's going to harden your heart. Look at the ministry of Jesus. Jesus spoke the same truth to everyone. Some people received it and they were broken by it and they followed him even to the point of death because they were so gripped by who he was. But other people rejected him and were hardened because of the very same message. 
The gospel is either going to soften our hearts or it's going to harden our heart. But that is how the ground of our heart is prepared in order to receive truth. You can be dropping truth bombs left and right. But if your heart is hard, you're not going to hear it. You're not going to see it because you're blinded to something that's good and something that is true. And so if we're going to be able to rightly divide truth, our heart has to be right. And the only thing that can make our heart right is the gospel. The only thing that can make our heart right is being gripped by His grace, being gripped by who He is, by being confronted with the truth of the reality of Jesus Christ. Then we can begin to approach what He says and understand how to rightly divide truth because we can be recipients of truth. If we're arrogant in our thoughts, much like all of the religious leaders of Jesus' day, If we're arrogant and prideful in our knowledge, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees were, then truth can be shared all day long, folks. Doesn't make it any less true, doesn't make the seed bad, it just makes the ground not receptive to the truth. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? You getting this? Because here's the thing, I've grown up in church my whole life, and I have seen a lot of really smart Christians. I'm talking about, man, they can quote you chapter and verse, and you'll go, whoa, that guy knows the Bible. And you can be impressed by how someone can articulate Scripture. You can be impressed how someone could maybe recite the entire Bible word for word. They could even recite the maps. Maybe they just know it so well. They can articulate every verse and every nuance of Scripture, but does that mean that their heart has been gripped by the gospel? No. You see, I know a lot of people that are really, really smart, that it's, they're intimidatingly smart in Scripture, but it doesn't go past here. It hasn't gripped them here. It hasn't gripped them in their heart. It's just head knowledge. It's just head knowledge. It's just something that they've become really, really smart in, something they've become really, really uh, well-educated in, but yet there's no fruit in their life. Why is there no fruit in their life? The seed is not the problem. The problem is, is their ability to receive that truth is hindered because the ground of their heart hasn't been gripped by the gospel. A lot of times... I think that, 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 that when, when we get that way, we're like the Pharisees when Jesus told those guys some hard truth. He said, you guys have got it all going on on the outside. Man, you guys are pretty on the outside. All dolled up, look nice. You guys are good. He said, you're kind of pretty and nice, kind of like a whitewashed tomb. Someone who has just really made this tomb look really nice. On the outside, you look good. But on the inside, you're full of dead man's bones. That's what Jesus said to the religious leaders of his day. He said, you guys look nice on the outside. You say a lot of nice things, but on the inside you're full of dead man's bones. I think that a lot of times we we just know a lot of things for the sake of knowing it, but the ground of our heart can't really receive the truth of Scripture because if we really receive the truth of Scripture, it would only deepen our conviction of the gospel. Oh, somebody... 
If we really received the truth of Scripture, if we really rightly divided the truth of Scripture, it would only grip us all the more about the reality of who Jesus is. Because cover to cover, this thing is all about Jesus. Amen? Amen. This whole thing is about Jesus. It is showing us God's will through Jesus Christ to redeem mankind back into himself. It's all about him. As we read through the different stories and the different things in the Old Testament, Jesus even understood this because in Luke, he began to teach, Luke says. He began to go starting with Moses. And he began to teach the people. That meant starting with the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. He began to teach them through those first five books of the Bible all about himself, Luke says. He began to show them who he was through the Old Testament. And then... The Bible says that he went through the prophets. He began to read Isaiah, began to read Ezekiel and Jeremiah. He began to show the people himself in the scripture that they had grown up with. This is what was actually being said, guys. This is so this would be fulfilled. This is what this says about me. Could you imagine Jesus going through and articulating all of those scriptures that were about himself? Could you imagine those that had become prideful in their knowledge? how much that would just offend and affect and bother them. I mean, we're all sitting here going, yeah, that wouldn't bother us. Yeah, right. You have somebody come in and start reading the scripture that you've been learning for for centuries and generations, and someone comes and says, oh yeah, this was all about me, by the way. Let me show you. This is why this is about me. This is why this is about me. This is what I did. This is what I'm going to do. This is why I'm here. Whoa, we would all be going... Whoa, it's either going to do one of two things. It's going to harden you towards it and you're going to hate him because of it or it's going to break you and you are going to love him because of it. So when we hear truth, when we hear the Holy Scripture being read or taught, the condition of our heart is key and the only way our heart can be changed is if we're gripped by the gospel. There were a lot of people last week that were gripped by the gospel. And we never stop being gripped by that. And further revelation of who Jesus is will only just further grip us. I got the opportunity to, to, uh, to preach at uh, Gibbsville First Reform this past Thursday morning at a camp. I got invited to be a speaker there. And I was praying about what to share. And I just got up there and just started sharing the gospel and the reality of who Jesus is. And then afterwards... the uh, Camps, the, the camp director came up in front of the kids and he said, do you, have you ever met me before today? And I said, no. He said, do you know this person or this person or this person? And he begins to rattle off names. I said, no, not at all. He said, this is the exact thing that has been shared every single morning and night of camp. He said, he said did I tell you what to preach on? I said, no, not at all. You told me that I had freedom to, to, to teach on whatever I felt the Holy Spirit leading me to do. He said, this is the exact same thing everybody else has been teaching on all week long. And I said, well, don't you think that God is trying to get a message across? That he's trying to get us confronted and gripped and faced with the reality of the gospel? Because it is the kindness of the Lord that leads men to repentance. Amen? Amen. Not just another 10-step program on how to try harder to do better. Even the world has those things that they try to 
forced down our throats in order to show us this is how you're going to be happy, satisfied, whole, fulfilled, as if you have a better version of yourself and it never works. It always leaves us empty and thirsty and we always feel like failures and like we're just not making the mark. Let me tell you something. I can rest in the fact that I can't make the mark in my own strength because Jesus did. Jesus paid it all. Jesus did it all for me, for you. And being gripped by that, the more I see his love, his nature, his heart, and the beauty of who he is. So when I'm convicted, when I'm convinced, I begin to understand why I believe what I believe. And it opens up my heart to be able to further rightly divide the word of truth. Because the gospel teals and plows the hearts of men. Now in verse 15, in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus said their hearts grew dull. And I want to focus on one word. He said grew. Their hearts grew dull. Their hearts weren't instantly made dull. No, their hearts developed dull. Their hearts began to get more and more dull. In other words, when the promise of God, listen to me, when the promise of God is right in front of you and you have the audacity to reject God's goodness, you grow more and more dull in your heart to the truth. You hear it and you reject it and you grow dull. You hear it, you reject it, you grow dull. You hear it, you reject it, and then you're not hearing it quite as much as you used to. You begin to get angry towards it. You begin to get bitter towards it. Or you begin to treat it like it's a common thing. Oh, I already know all of those things. I don't need to hear this anymore. Let me tell you something about that. You never stop needing to hear the gospel. Amen? Amen. Never. You never get to a point in this walk on this earth as a human where we should be so arrogant as to think, I don't need to hear the gospel anymore. If I began to reject that gospel, then I'm not open to the truth. I am trusting in myself instead of being gripped by the one who wants me to trust in him. So the first thing is that we discern truth by growing in the gospel. I want you to write that down. We discern truth by growing in the gospel. And here's the thing. Seeking truth, it begins and it ends with Jesus. I want you guys to, to get, get, get plugged in here, okay? Seeking the truth begins and ends with Jesus. Because here's the thing. John 14 and verse 6, Jesus Christ himself said that I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the Father except by me, right? We've heard that scripture, amen, high five, let's get a bumper sticker, right? We like that scripture, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. But did you really hear what he said? He didn't say I am a way. He didn't say, I have some truth, and I have a life, or some life. No, he said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. So listen to me. Jesus did not possess truth to be able to give. He was truth. And he is truth. It's who he is. He didn't possess a way. He is the way. The way is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. The truth is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. Life 
is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. Not just a portion of it, but it in fullness. It, it, Jesus, in, in Jesus dwell the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus is everything. He's everything you and I could need. He's everything we could ever desire because in himself is the way, the truth, and the life. It's who he is. And because it's who he is, why would there be anything else that I could desire or want or seek after that could give me the way, that could give me any truth, or that could give me any life? Because apart from Jesus, I have no way, I have no truth, and I have no life. It's all wrapped up in Jesus Christ. I am. That's a powerful statement. I am the way. I am the truth. Man, when you think about that and you think about discerning truth, wow, Jesus made a pretty bold statement there. So that means that everything Jesus does, everything Jesus said, everything that Jesus modeled, He is truth in perfection. And Jesus has been showing us Himself all throughout Scripture. And we can see that He is the way. He's pointing to Himself because God's desire for you and for me is to bring glory to Him. And for us to bring glory to Him, we have to know His Son. We have to know Jesus. We have to know Him, and we have to be convinced and convicted that He is the way, He is the truth, He is the life. You see, you can't base truth off of a feeling. You can't base truth off of popularity. I think that we see sometimes different waves in, in the body of Christ where something will hit a, hit a, hit a nerve and, and people will get really excited about this one issue. And this one issue will, will be the one thing everybody's talking about because this is what's on everybody's mind right now and the church gets all focused about it. And you see this one issue, there's a thousand different books written about it and everybody's doing a new sermon series on this one particular issue because that's what everyone's wanting to champion and everyone's wanting just to talk about and that's all Christians are about for a season. And then you see that for another season they... They, they get to be about all another issue and they want to talk about something else and, and they begin to champion that issue or this experience and this is what it's all about. This is where it's at. This is what's up. Any of those things that take away from God getting all of the glory and it being about Jesus and pointing people to the gospel, those things are just distractions and we make idols out of teaching. We make idols out of certain books or certain teachers. Just put, listen. You know, you know what's up. <laughs> just because. Just because. Someone is on television. Or just because someone's on the radio. Does not mean that everything out of their mouth is the perfect will of God for you and that it's good to base belief off of. Really? You would think so. But here's the thing. I was just talking to someone the other day and they said this exact phrase. They said, well, you know, so-and-so said this and after all, you know, they are on TV. <laughs> for real? They're on TV? Yeah. As if being on television or being an author of a book or being popular as a speaker means that 
You don't have any error at all, and I can trust everything you say. Just because thousands of people flock to hear you doesn't mean that everything that you say is right and true. You could actually be very dangerous for me because maybe I begin to get sucked in and I begin to believe wrongly and develop bad doctrine that leads me down a path where I end up getting mad at God or I have false expectations or I begin to worship idols. If it leads you down those paths, a lot of times we don't even realize it. I mean, if it were an obvious thing that said, follow this brand of teaching and it's going to lead you straight into idol worship, who wants to sign up on the sign-up sheet? (laughs) It doesn't get advertised that way. And I think, honestly, that some of the hearts of the people that may teach certain things, I don't think that they're all wicked and corrupt and, and they're all trying to lead people astray. I just think that they believe wrong. I think that they're not rightly dividing the word of truth and they're basing their doctrine off of experiences or what someone else said because they're probably quoting other preachers and other ministers who are in the same vein that they are instead of quoting Jesus. Hello, somebody. Or they began to take scripture out of its proper context. Jesus said he's the way, he's the truth, and he's the lie. So we need to discern truth By asking, who gets the glory? Who gets the glory out of this thing? Does the glory go to someone? Does the glory go to me? Is it something that begins to set me up for idol worship? Who gets the glory in this? I mean, does the glory all go to Jesus? Or does it go towards this idol to where I begin to seek this idol, and I begin to want this idol or want what Jesus can get me more than I want Jesus. And it doesn't become about Jesus. It becomes uh, all about what I can get. And if that's the case, then I'm missing something. We have to discern truth by asking who gets the glory because you and I were created for worship. We were created for worship, and we're going to worship someone or something. It's just the way we were made. Are we worshiping stuff? Are we worshiping God only because of what we think he can get us? Because we've somehow bought into this message that if I do everything just right, that God is going to make my life peachy and rosy and give me everything that I ever wanted. And oh, isn't he so nice for it? And I'll give him thanks and high five for it. Or does he truly get the glory out of my desire? Oh, listen to me. Is he getting the glory out of your desire? That's a good way to discern truth. By asking who gets the glory. Who gets the glory out of where your desires are directed? Are, are your desires really directed towards him? Or are your desires... I mean, come on now. Stop fooling yourself. Honestly evaluate and honestly ask. Honestly evaluate and ask. Who really gets the glory out of why I'm desiring this? or what my desire is, or what I'm trying to gain from hearing certain teaching or reading certain scriptures. Is my desire for stuff, is my desire for what he can get me, or is my desire for him? If we stop fooling ourselves and we're really honest with ourselves, it'll show us a lot about idolatry that could be in our hearts. Because all the glory goes to him. Amen? Amen. It doesn't go to me for my goodwill and my good effort. It all goes to him. It doesn't go to my stuff. It goes to him. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. It all belongs to him anyways. So say, God, I I, want to believe in you and live for you and trust you and glorify you. Even in my intent. Even in my motive. 
because God sees through all of our intent and our motive, doesn't he? He sees right through us. We could be putting on a good show for everybody else, but he sees our intentions. He sees our motive. And he knows if our heart has been gripped by the gospel or not. He knows if our heart has been gripped by Jesus Christ. He knows what we're really pursuing and why we're really pursuing it. So who gets the glory? You see, the more I'm gripped by the gospel, the more my life naturally wants to glorify Jesus. You kind of see how that works? The more I'm in awe of him and the more I realize how much I need him, worship is a natural response. Worship, not just in a church service where we all sing songs, but I mean with our very lives. It's a natural response of being gripped by the goodness of God. If I really grow in understanding his love, his mercy, his grace, and how God's wrath was absorbed on the cross by Jesus Christ for you and for me, Man, if I allow that to get into my heart, it begins to melt the hardness in my heart. It begins to warm the cold areas of my heart. It begins to cause me to worship, to glorify Him with my life. When something that points to self-reliance, when something points to worshiping things or experiences, or anything that would take the focus away from Jesus and puts it somewhere else, it's wrong. So for us to rightly divide the word of truth, we need to look to truth and go, okay, what do you say, Jesus? See, the entire Bible, I said this earlier, but it, it all points to Jesus. The scripture reference for that was Luke 24 and 27. You want to look at that. That's where Jesus goes through all the Old Testament, and he begins to show the people himself because he's pointing to him. He's trying to show them who he is. So we need to understand that the entire Bible points to Jesus and People want to make the Bible about so many other things. They want to make the Bible about stuff, about experiences, about feeling, about morality. And does it talk about all those things? Absolutely. But it talks about them in light of the gospel, in light of the goodness of God and showing us who Jesus is. The third thing for us to discern truth is that we discern truth by looking at Scripture in context. We discern truth by looking at Scripture in context. Oh, if I could get a big amen on this one, I would be so happy right now. Amen, Pastor Derek. We need to look at Scripture in context. To take the text of Holy Scripture out of its context, listen to me, to support my thoughts and my reasoning or my feelings or my stance is backwards from the way I should approach the Bible. In other words, if I go say, okay, I feel this way or I think this way, now let me find out where Jesus thinks that way too. I remember back when I first started preaching, when I was 15 years old, I used to prepare sermons this way. I used to try to think of something really good to talk about. I would try really hard. Yeah, that's a good thing to talk about. Now let me find some scriptures for it. That's backwards. You seeing that? That's backwards. It's not I'm coming up with a thought or I'm coming up with an idea or I'm coming up with a way I feel about something or how I rationale things in my mind. And then let me go find a scripture to support that so I can say it and be right. That's backwards. You see, revelation of who God is doesn't come from his word validating my feelings or my thoughts. It comes from me understanding who he is in scripture and then my feelings and thoughts are shaped by it. 
That's the proper way. Instead of searching throughout Scripture. Because, man, if I start looking for Scripture to validate my feelings or my thoughts or, or, or my rationale, I could probably take something way out of context and go, yep, I like that one. That supports how I feel. Let's just take that one and lift it out of context and let's begin to teach it because I'm basing my teaching on my thoughts, my rationale, which can often be rooted and based in selfishness and idolatry. That's where bad doctrine comes from. There you go. Now you know how it happens. People begin to exalt their thoughts above the holy word of God. And then they begin to look for ways to validate their thoughts by taking scripture out of context. And a lot of good meaning people do that. They're not all wicked people that are just trying to get in your pocketbooks. Some good-meaning people that I believe really want to help people and really want to, 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 to teach the Word of God. They do this all of the time, and it's such foolishness. I need to read, what did he say before? What did he say after? Not just this one little scripture that supports my feelings or my thoughts or my bad doctrine. For me to rightly divide the word of truth, I need to look at it in context. Who was it being written to? What was the occasion? What was going on? How can I see God's desire for me in that instead of just pulling this one thing out and leading people astray because of this one independent scripture? Because here's the thing. This is why that simply looking at certain scriptures as just claiming a singular promise of God can be dangerous if we don't look at it in context. Sometimes the things in context do mean the same things when they're pulled out, uh, uh, you know, and you look at just that one verse. Sometimes that's exactly what it means. But what about when it's not? What about when it's not? Just for example, the call of Isaiah. When God calls Isaiah... He says, I'm looking for someone who will go. And Isaiah says, oh, Lord, here I am. Send me. And we go, oh, yeah, that looks good. Put it on coffee mugs. Put it on bumper stickers and T-shirts. And let's sell it in Christian bookstores. But you want to know what he says right after that? He says, oh, yeah, and by the way, you're going to preach to these people your entire life, and they're never going to hear a word you say. We don't read the next verse. We just read the one because it makes us feel good and, sound, and it sounds good. What about when God told Isaiah, you're going to preach your whole life and no one's going to hear you or receive you or respond to you? Oh, well, there's not a t-shirt for that one. There should be. There should be a t-shirt for that one. Because would you still do it then? Would you still drink out of that coffee mug then? If knowingly you were called to do something where... The people's hearts were hardened, but yet you knew it was your calling and you knew it was what God wanted you to do and he had spoken to you to do it. Would you still go, here my Lord, send me? Because what we mean when we say that, we say, here my Lord, send me when the, my conditions are met. Here my Lord, send me when everything's going to work out to my benefit. That. What about you know, in Jeremiah? We see scripture taken out of context. We, we see it happen all the time. And people base whole beliefs and doctrines and cute sayings all around it. And we're missing it. We're not rightly dividing the word of truth. We're taking something that was meant to mean something to mean something else. So understand, sometimes there are things in scripture that you, you can take that one scripture and it does mean that there are those things. 
But have you looked at it in context? Or are you just thumbing through, looking for something to just cure what ails you? And you're just going through the Bible looking for an individual scripture. Am I looking at it in context? Because if I don't look at it in context, I'm opening myself up to improperly interpret scripture and read error and believe error because I'm not looking at it in context. Because God's will for man is not broken up into independent thoughts that we treat as a grab bag to get our blessings. His will for you and His will for me is Jesus Christ. Amen? Well, in Matthew 6 and 33, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. And that's because the Bible is all about God, not about us. The Bible's all about God. It's not about us. So for us to rightly discern and divide the truth of Scripture, we need to get the focus off of us and onto Jesus because he is more than enough. You see, the more I know Jesus, the more I'm gripped by what he's done for me, the more the gospel grips my heart, the greater degree of confidence and conviction I walk in. And we need to walk out our faith with conviction because this world is pressuring us to crumble. And we need to be able to contend for our faith. We need to let our lives be lived for the glory of God as we stand for Him, as we grow in trust for Him. As we grow in the truth, what does the Bible say about the truth? It will set us free. Amen? So I need to be able to rightly divide that so I can properly understand it, properly apply it in my life. But I never get away from the gospel being the thing that grips my heart. And it should further deepen that gripping. It should further that level of repentance and conviction and me clinging to the cross of Christ. Because the truth is, the truth, is that while you and I were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? We need to know why we believe, what we believe, so we can contend for the truth, so we can stand for the truth, so we can be convinced of the goodness of God and the gospel grips our heart because this is all about Jesus. Let our lives be lived in a way where we're discerning truth, growing deeper in our knowledge of Him and giving glory to Jesus Christ. Would you bow your head this morning? Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.